0: Thank you, Kristen, for the beauty of the earth. Let's open our Bibles to Romans 7. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, we'd love to receive those from you. And we'll be praying for you in the coming week. We're so glad that you're here. I want to just extend a special welcome to our visitors that are here today, that God would minister to you in our time together. We return to the book of Romans after a two week break with Life Action Ministries. And again, I'm thankful for the challenge um, uh, that we, we received to reach out, to love one more, to open our homes and our hearts for gospel purposes, to see our neighborhood in a new light, our neighbors in a new light, to be able to take the word of God to them and minister to them. and we. My prayer as we gather to worship and to receive instruction from God's Word and to fellowship together is that we would leave here today with a sense of God's calling on our life and that we would... Enter into the spheres and avenues where we live to minister in his mighty name. The last thing I want is for us to gather together and to preach uh, God's word and to worship together and have this seething resentment towards the culture. Um, That's not what I I want us to be. That's not what God has called us to be. But really to see ourselves on mission uh, for the glory of Jesus Christ And it has just hit me, um, you know, that we're facing and have seen tremendous changes in the last 20 years, the last five years in particular in our country. We have a big election coming up, a midterm election coming up this week, and we need to be in prayer for our nation and for the decisions and those who lead over us because the elections have consequences. And for our part... As a church, we want to pray for those in authority over us as the scripture commands and for God to move in our country to revive his people and for the gospel to have great success in our land. So before I dig into Romans 7, this is kind of a spontaneous moment where I just really feel a need for us to pray for our country and for the decisions of this week. Lord, we know that um, many things are at stake with every election and we are commanded to pray for those who would lead over us. We've seen such a tremendous breach in leadership across the board for so long. And we would ask, Father, that in the coming days that you would be pleased to guide this process in our, in our country. We pray for a revival in our land, which we believe is our only hope. We pray, Father, for the decisions of this week, and may it be said of us as your people that we participated by faith and according to our conscience, participated in the votes before us. We pray for every decision concerning those who would serve locally, statewide, and on the national level, and we seek you today for our part in that, in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are, Romans 7. And I want to talk about serving in the new way of the Spirit, which is Paul's words in verse 6. The book of Romans has really brought us face to face with God's marvelous grace. I understand in any particular gathering, we we have visitors, maybe some who've come just for whatever reason. and, And I would want to just say in simple terms that the Bible, the good news of the Bible is that though we have broken God's laws... And we stand before him guilty because of our sins. The good news is that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, that those who turn from their sins and call on his name shall be saved. So that is our banner. That is our anthem. That is our song that God has redeemed us through the work of his son. And in the book of Romans, Paul is systematically outlining this good news God's marvelous grace. We've been forced to own our own sin and all of its horror, and we have been overwhelmed by God's free gift through Jesus Christ. One powerful expression uh, comes from the Psalms. Uh, I just think uh, it's a common testimony for anyone who knows the Lord and loves the Lord. In Psalm 40, David wrote, "'I waited patiently for the Lord.'" He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. You ever been in a miry bog? I hope not. But all you have to do in Louisiana is just look to the side of the road and you'll find one. You'll see one. And you'll say, man, I'm glad I'm not in there. The Lord's salvation brings us out of this miry bog, the soup of our sin, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And this new song... When it's mentioned in the Psalms, the book of Psalms, is a reference to a fresh song of God's deliverance and His goodness in my life. And so in the Christian life, we should have a recurring, ongoing um, offering of a new song to the Lord for His deliverance and His goodness to us. David goes on to say, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Could it be that so few trust in the Lord because God's people are so shy to give a new song? and to speak of his wondrous grace in our life. I had a wonderful opportunity this weekend to go to Midway Baptist Church and speak at their men's conference. Dr. Dennis Brunais, the pastor, and he he offered a couple of questions to the men, uh, some 60 in number on Friday and a good group on Saturday of men who love the Lord, and to hear them sing and to be with them was a great privilege, but he held out a question to them. Jesus Christ means What to you? Fill in the blank. What does he mean to you? And then he went on to say, Midway Baptist Church, what does that mean to you? And it was wonderful to hear these men stand and give praise of what Jesus Christ meant to them, what their church family meant to them, and I just was taken by, you know, that, that happens around here all the time. And that's a sign of a healthy church because a testimony not given is a testimony lost. And David is saying, God is my strength and my fear and or my, my salvation. Uh, many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. And so as we hold up Romans 7 and the whole meaning of the gospel, may that be our song as well. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He rescued us from the miry bog of our transgressions and put a new song in our mouth. And that is not to say all our problems in life are over. That's not our message. But we find that, that even in our sufferings, we learn to endure and even with our endurance, we, we, we learn and grow in character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Charles Swindoll captures the flow of Romans when he says, Paul deliberately paces himself in the writing of Romans. Chapter after chapter, he deals with sin, sin, and more sin. In fact, coming through Romans 3, it was almost like we needed to hold of a shield. It was more than we could bear. With not one word of relief from the dark side, and then as the curtain seems to cl- be closing and the reader reaches rock bottom with no way uh, through and no way out, enters the spirit of the living God and the promises of God in Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit dwells within us to give us hope. Many think, um, some commentators think that Romans 6 and 7 is kind of a parenthesis between a larger section of Romans 5 through 8. We began with chapter 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, assurance of salvation. And then it ends with Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God and Jesus? Absolutely nothing, not death, not life, not things to come, not things present, not things in the past, not angels, not any created thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here in chapter 7, Paul's talking about being freed from the law. Romans 7 is a difficult sell in the present situation of our age. We live in a lawless age. I mentioned Matthew DeLauder in our pastoral prayer this morning, a beloved church planner that's preached here many times, I think eight times, and we have supported and been a partner with Emmanuel New Orleans, but they're trying to build a a church building on Elysian Fields and thieves just keep stealing their stuff. Imagine the frustration of that, the plywood and the building supplies and um, and, you know, I, I, I sense from Matthew just a real exa- exasperation a couple of weeks ago. Someone broke into his truck, and he had mistakenly left his wallet in there, and so his wallet got stolen with his driver's license and all these things. We need to pray for our brother. We live in a lawless age. He was saying people are going down major thoroughfares in New Orleans and just doing donuts in the median and with no, no legal recourse, seemingly, or enforcement. We live in a day of riots, a mindset that said that if a court decision or a, an election or a law passed uh, doesn't fit the fancy of a certain ideology or a group, then that gives you right to enter a city and just burn it to the ground. We live in a lawless age. So talk about the law is not really an appealing thing, but that's exactly what Paul is doing in Romans 7. In Romans 7, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, he writes, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I want to kind of place my thoughts on several things this morning. If you have the insert, you can follow along. The first would be we, we no longer live by the cravings of our flesh. As believers in Jesus Christ, yes, we have a sin nature. Yes, we have a flesh. Yes, it rears its ugly head at times. But we, but we are in the process of being conformed into the image of Christ. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world or even Our fallen nature. Life in the flesh, and he breaks it down. He talks about sinful passions. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, that word flesh is the Greek word sarx, and it refers to the natural and sinful expressions of our fallen nature. Does anybody need to be convinced you have a flesh nature? Don't look self righteous. We know that's true, right? A sin nature. And as believers, it brings us to a point of shame. And sometimes they drag these passions and these attitudes and our sin nature drags stubbornly. We wonder, am I ever going to be delivered? Which is exactly what Paul says in in this chapter. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And his resolve is this, praise be to God for his grace in Jesus Christ. So flesh in Scripture is used in several ways based upon the context. It's used to refer to the physical body. In the prologue of John's Gospel, the Word became flesh. God the Son took on human flesh in the incarnation, a physical makeup of a man or a woman, in this case the Son of God. It also refers to the moral and ethical sense in which Uh, which is sinful and evil. Our flesh is our unredeemed humanness. Salvation in Christ breaks that deadly cord, that deadly stream in our lives. A person who lives for the flesh and is in the flesh cannot belong to Jesus Christ. You know I don't mean that when we sin that we lose our salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. You know that I'm not talking about perfectionism in the Christian life as if we never sin I'm referring to someone who says I'm not living for Christ anymore and I'm going to embrace all the things he's, con- he's condemned in his word every believer is susceptible to fall back into sinful ways of the flesh That's why we need to gather together. That's why we need to be under the word. That's why we need to be in fellowship with other believers so we can encourage one another. By all means, let's run the race. A a believer, one who has genuine salvation, cannot remain in the flesh. The flesh surfaces in the believer's life, but the sign of salvation is that the believer confesses it and repents of it. Are you in need of repentance this morning, believer? It's stacked up. It's built up. It's clogged the conduit of your heart to fellowship with God. You have things in your life that you nurture and keep warm. And Christ is calling us all to put aside those things, to turn from those things, to acknowledge those things, and maybe you feel so weak to even overcome it. Uh, All the more reason to say, Lord, I'm too weak to overcome it. I need your strength in my life that I would want you more than my sin. He mentions sinful passions, and this references impulses uh, to our thoughts. Uh, To do evil comes from the flesh. These sinful passions, all of which are part of our old nature. Notice what he says here also in the text, provoked by the law, actually aroused by the law. Um, the law arouses sin. Maybe you haven't thought about that. He, he says that in verse 8 of all the sins that um, Paul dealt with in his own personal life, he mentioned covetousness. Through the commandment of God, I learned I shall not covet. And That began to stir in my heart, and I began to see how enslaved I was to my sin provoked by God's law. John MacArthur writes The believer's old life was characterized by his sinful passions continually being aroused by the law. One wonders how a good thing, such as God's holy law, can arouse that which is sinful. First of all, it does so because apart from the knowledge of the law, a person would not know good from evil. That's what Paul says in verse 7. But the law says that's not right. The law in declaring what is wrong also arouses evil in the unregenerate person, the lost person, the unsaved person, because his naturally rebellious nature makes him want to do the very things He learns are forbidden. I know it says 45, but I want to do 55. I know it says only take one, but I want three. And on it goes. We know how that arouses our own sin nature. Some stronger than others, depending on what the issue is. But all of us share that in common. Sin arouses... Of all the trees in the garden you can eat, but that one over there, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Which became the most attractive of all trees after that command. Where was the fixation? Man, that's a beautiful... Yeah, but the law arouses our sin. And it bears fruit for death. That's what he says. These passions, these thoughts, these sins were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. These, the members of our body is the reference here, the entire person given over to sinful passions working to produce fruit of judgment. I think the best picture I see here of how to understand this, don't check out here. This is really important is Galatians 3. Keep your finger in Romans 7 and let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Paul contrasts, I'm I'm sorry, it's Galatians 5. Galatians 5, picking up in verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Paul contrasts the deeds of the flesh with the deeds of the spirit. And I think there's a great parallel for looking at what he's talking about in Romans 7 in our text today. Now the works of the flesh... Romans 5, 19, are evident. What are the works of the flesh? Sexual immorality. It's the general word pornea, which includes all sexual immorality, all sex expressed outside of marriage. He mentions impurity, that which is filthy and sensual. He mentions idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife. All of these are deeds of the flesh. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. It includes envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So in just a flourish of his pen, he identifies these things that are the deeds of the flesh and we should run from them and seek to put them off in our life. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know my illustration here. This doesn't mean you get a, little, a smaller slice of the pie. It means you get no pie. If your life is marked by these things, and a flagrant disobedience to God's word, why would you ever have the assurance that you were saved and in right relationship with him? That's a life lived in the flesh. So if I'm involved in these things, what should I do? What's the sign of a true believer who said, man, that's me. I'm involved in these things. Well, I think it's a good sign that you even want to be here. And I think it would even be a better thing for you to say, Lord, it's got to go. It's got to go. Then he goes on to look at the fruit of the Spirit, which I'll pick up in just a minute in the, back in Romans 7. But the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first thing on the list? Love. And all that flows from that is joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What does that mean, against such there is no law? Because God who sent the law also sent the Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit. So what I'm talking about today, overcoming our sinful nature, is the product of uh, of being a believer in Jesus Christ. The God who sent the law also sent the Spirit, the byproduct of the Spirit-filled life, is perfectly intent with god's law so a person who is showing the fruit of the spirit fulfills the law far better than a person who observes the rituals but has little love in her his or her heart and we don't need to look any further than the pharisees notice with me secondly but now that's verse six but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive. But now, oh, Christian, since the, the weight of this, um, this phrase, but now, it, it, it's the testimony of every believer in Jesus Christ. I once was this, but now I'm this. The man born blind in John 9, I was blind, but now I what? You used to be like this, you used to behave like that, you think, used to think like this, but God has changed me. I'm wanting to recover the miracle of the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, born from above, which is a work where we repent of our sins and call upon the Lord and our heart is changed. By his grace and the work of the Spirit, Paul in Ephesians 2 said, But God, but now, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, but God, that is our testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I, I see. On six occasions, Paul, uh, in the book of Acts between his third missionary journey and his final imprisonment in Rome, he stood before different audiences and pre- presented Christ to, th- to these very varied audiences. Six times he stood alone, six times he shared with unbelievers, and many were hostile and rude. What, what was Paul's method in sharing the gospel? I once was this, but now I'm this. <laughs> Basically, he shared his personal testimony. He shared how Jesus Christ had changed his life. He simply shared how his his life had changed by the invasion of Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. All right, I think a great application of this is are you prepared to do that with the audiences that you will face this week? You may not have 10 minutes. You may not have five minutes. You may not have two minutes, but you'll take whatever you get. Are you prepared to share your testimony in that kind of setting? Are you prepared to, if I were to stick a microphone in your face as a follower of Jesus Christ and say, what's your hope in this world? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. One thing that has to happen, and I think it's a byproduct of the last week, is if we don't think in those ways, it's never going to get out. It won't. And the most important thing in our lives as a believer in Jesus Christ is Him. So we need to be more proficient in sharing what He has done to change us. I once was this, but now I'm I'm this, and I'm I'm not, I haven't arrived by any means, but I'm on, I'm on in the process of growing in my faith and in my trust of Christ. His promises are secure and true and I'm standing on them. Paul said in First Timothy, it's a trustworthy statement, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm chief. You know, I just think of those that are around us and near to us and People that we know for years, we we, we need to come to the place to where we're able to say to them, you know, I've known you for many years, we've shared the same office, we've shared the same neighborhood, and I've never shared with you the most important thing in my life, and that's my relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you have time to talk about issues of faith? And then what do you do? You wait to see what they say, which will probably be, sure, I can give you a few minutes. And then you share what? How you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you share the word of God with them. We need to become more proficient in that as a church to get the word out. And so, but now, that's the testimony we all share, but now. We are released from the law. That sounds kind of dangerous, doesn't it? To be released from the law? That might make us lawless. If we're released from the law, next thing we know, we might be doing donuts in the median. But that's not Paul's point. We're released from the law, the external uh, code in the sense that that's not the power that changes us. In fact, we're released from the law, and he says, it doesn't make us lawless, it makes us more loving. What does that mean? Well, as we look at the fruit, verse, look back at verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ in order that you may bear fruit for God. Through the power that raised Jesus from the dead, he dwells within every believer. That very power is what produces fruit, godly fruit, not fruit that leads to death, not fruit that leads to shame, but to learn to love. A repeated emphasis in the book of Romans is that salvation produces total transformation. Jesus Christ died and rose again, and through his saving work, God made Christ, who knew no sin, sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God by faith in him, that we might bear fruit for God. Fruit is evident through our attitude. Fruit is evident through our actions. Fruit is evident through our worldview. Fruit is evident through the commitments of our life. Notice with me thirdly, I want to pick up on that term. We have been released from the law in verse 6. Being released from the law, again, it it produces love, not lawlessness. Not in the gospel. Both Jews and Gentiles are under the law. Paul has established that in Romans 1 uh, through 7. Jews had the written law, the Ten Commandments. They had the privileges of the older covenants. The Gentiles also have a law a natural law and we whether you're jew or gentile you're under the law that condemns us because of our sin we're proud of our accomplishments we fail to own up to our uh, our own failures we we hide in the bushes like adam and eve did we can't handle too much reality the whole proliferation of fantasy novels over the last 25 years, fantasy games, the, the, the whole proliferation of fantasy this and that is, is really, it boils down to this, that the human race cannot really handle reality. But that should not be so for the people of the cross where we've come to see our sin and our need for a savior and that that it should empower us to, into a world that is suffering and wants to escape. We're critical of others. We see depression and addictions. This whole fentanyl thing, I've just been watching a number of documentaries on that. Uh, a piece of fentanyl the size of a rice can OD someone that's laced with everything under the sun. You just see a massive... Effort to try to escape this world. And nothing shows the, the fallen heart more than that. We've died to the law. We've been released from the law that we might be held captive to another. That's the whole point of the marriage illustration in verses 2 and 3 that in death a marriage is dissolved. And so. Paul is saying, we're married to Jesus Christ, which may be difficult for the men in this body to look at that picture, but that's exactly what what he's saying. We're married to him in the purest form, in the purest thoughts. We are united to him, and he is our savior. Released from the law in union with Jesus Christ by faith. That is such a precious doctrine. And then finally, we'll close with this. We possess the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, chapter six, the latter part, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not the old way of the written code. There's a distinction between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is the written requirement. "You shall not kill," for an example. The spirit of the law has to do with the deeper intent or motive behind it. And so this controversy is captured in all four Gospels when Jesus talks to the Pharisees. The letter of the law says, you shall not kill. The Pharisees refrain from actually thrusting the knife or committing the crime, but their hearts are murderous. They keep the letter of the law, but they break the spirit of the law. Thomas Schreiner, his comments are helpful. The letter of the law demands but does not enable obedience. The letter of the law demands but is not able to produce obedience in us. In fact, it provokes us. The letter of the law actually kindles the desire to sin and produces more sin than if the law were lacking, Schreiner writes. But Paul gives a word of hope. This is our hope. That under this new covenant, God has given the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit will come and he will live with you and will live in you. And he will help you. He will be the power that you need. In Acts 1, Jesus said that you will be witnesses of mine You will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. The newness brought about by the Spirit must involve the living of a new life in which we bear fruit for God and walk in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. The newness of the spirit fulfills the old covenant promise that the new covenant would give people the ability to keep the law of God because he's writing it on our hearts, not on a tablet of stone. Oh, no one loved the new covenant. Next Sunday, we will gather at the Lord's table to remember the new covenant established through the blood of Jesus Christ, promised in Jeremiah, promised in Ezekiel, fulfilled in Christ when he died and we were purchased by his blood so that every believer has the spirit of God dwelling within them to live for Jesus today, that we might live by spirit and by truth. We're freed from the law because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and while we have broken the law miserably, Jesus, through his act of obedience, kept the law of God perfectly, so he is our substitute. He paid the penalty for our guilt. And you can know the lifting of that in your life right now. Because of his work, we have been forgiven. So when Satan comes to you and accuses you, shames you, reminds things. Remember one of the titles of our enemy is he is the accuser of the brethren. So when he comes to you and remembers your shame, he brings it up to you and throws it in your face. He reminds you of all your failures. You remember this, that in Jesus Christ, I'm not condemned. I think of the song I reference it often we sing it often because the sinless Savior died my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me behold him there the risen lamb my perfect spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am the king of glory the king of grace do you know him Do you know his love in your life? If you do know him, are you living for him? The reason we have a closing time in our service to sing and to reflect and to respond is because every time the word of God is open, it's a call to obey him. It's a call to put into practice what we've heard and to worship him. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me as we come to the close of the service? that we would stand on the promises of Christ, our Savior. Maybe this morning the Lord has spoken to you of your need for him. Maybe as a believer this morning, God has showed you things that need to be put off and you need his help, that you would cry out to him, Lord, help me. I confess to you these things. I don't want to call it something you don't. And I pray for your help by the spirit of the living God, bring change into my life. Father, I pray in these closing moments that we would be completely yielded to you. All to you we, we owe. And I pray that your grace would do a fresh work in all of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If there are needs on your heart, you come.